Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, a strong and powerful Brian Portnoy. Brian, are you ready to do this? I am so ready. Excellent. Let's do this. Brian is a PhD, a CFA, the Director of Investment Education at Virtus Investment Partners, the author of two books, and an expert in simplifying the complex world of money. I'm excited to have you on. Brian, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Sure. Um, live in Chicago, wife and three kids, three teenagers, so it's uh, busy times. For sure. But fun, but, but fun times. Um, yeah, Chicago is our home and our passion. We, we love city living. We live about a mile from Wrigley Field, and, and we just enjoy the, the diners and bookstores and all the great stuff around us. Um, family passion is travel. So that's a, a big thing for us. We, we think it's a big and, and fascinating world. And, uh, you know, on the personal front, uh, I've been in the money business for just about 20 years now. And my career has really pivoted over the last six, seven years toward writing, um, mostly in the field of behavioral finance, which is a fancy way of saying um, how people screw up decisions about money. <laughs> and so I've written a couple books on that topic. And um, it is, I, I love it. Uh, it, it it's, it's technically complicated, but I think deeply relevant to everybody, not just, not just practitioners. Uh, so uh, I enjoy that immensely. I like it. So what was it that uh, taking, I don't want to call it a different approach, but moving more in the direction of writing and thinking about behavioral finance, what, what, what drew you to that? Yeah, I, I joke with my wife, um, who frankly doesn't find this funny, but I do so I <laughs> sort of constantly, that my first book was sort of my version of a midlife crisis. Okay. Uh, I, um, you know, I'd been in the industry for a while, had some interesting jobs, both in the mutual fund and the hedge fund industry. And I, I did take a step back uh, one day, one one week and say, you know, what, what, what in the heck am I doing with my career? You know, I'd been more on the portfolio management and allocation side and, you know, having some fun, having some success, but still w was wondering what it was all about. And as I went through kind of my personal exploration and I began to read more and more about behavioral finance and decision theory and just sort of what's the nature of humanity and what are we all about, I realized there was a much deeper narrative to dig into and one that just absolutely fascinated me. And I began to, you know, I just began to write. It just started with scribbling. It just started with, you know, Evernote, you know, my note taking system that, uh, I have thousands of notes in, and at a certain point, after having written tens of thousands of words that were really just scribbles and scrawls, I thought to myself, "Geez, I I might actually have something here." And um, you know, soon enough, I met some people in the publishing industry and some friends who were journalists gave me advice, and I was I was off to the races. And I, I guess since then, um, I I don't know if it's always been this way, but certainly my passion now is writing um, that um, at this point need to be either with my notebook or at my keyboard trying to figure things out. I'm a huge proponent of the idea that you really don't know what you think until you write it down. And I think a lot of people have a lot of big opinions that if they were forced to write it down, they would quickly say, oh, wait a minute, I, I, don't, I don't think I 
fully understood that as much as I thought I did. So um, I'm a little bit impatient with people who just blow V8, uh, but I have a ton of respect for people who try to write things down and, and, and figure it out and, and get into the nuances. Yeah, I, I appreciate everything you just said. In fact, when people ask me what I do, I, I tell them I, I, I work to help people lead more contented and happier lives. <laughs> I don't think that, uh, and obviously my piece for that is 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 money, um, but I just don't think that you can separate out all the other stuff and just teach somebody about putting a budget together or saving more money. I think that we all intellectually understand that stuff, but unless you address the other stuff, then it really doesn't matter. So I think that not enough people talk about contentment, but that shows up in a lot of your writing. Yeah, um, it's really the anchor to the geometry of wealth, which you know came out in the summer of uh, 20, 2018. And, and you know the books, it's been very gratifying. The, the book's been well-received in no small part because of what you just mentioned, which is that it directly tackles this issue of contentment and fulfillment and a meaningful life, but then you know recognizes in the same breath that money figures into the story. I think many people are too quick to say, "Oh, money can't buy happiness," and I'll just say, you know, at minimum, it's a lot more complicated than that. You know, we can't escape it. It doesn't even matter if you're born into a billionaire family and you have more dough than you could ever use in your life. Um, it, it ends up. Um, not just anecdotally, but the not just psychology, but neuroscience at this point demonstrates unequivocally that money is very much sort of the key, one of the key emotional receptacles for everything that goes on in our lives. It's a, it's a lightning rod. And I, I, in my book, which is not an investing book, it's a money book. And I talk about this concept of money life, which is just not investing, which I actually think is the least relevant uh, element to 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 money it's earning it's saving it's spending and you know think about the phrase uh, making a living uh, it's a pretty loaded phrase um, you know how do you make a living and well that works on the level of paying the bills but it also works on the level of defining and reinforcing your identity so there's a lot going on and I think that people become very intimidated uh, with the technical jargon uh, and the vocabulary that goes along with this business. Um, and, you know, I, I see it as my self-assigned task to help just cut through the BS and simplify uh, and, and help people recognize that, number one, this is really hard. And number two, there's a better way. Yeah. Okay. I think that that's awesome. And it, it, it's so hard because there's this huge apparatus that is constantly uh hitting us talking about the market it's up it's down it's volatile so but i'm i'm with you i think that certainly is important but it's not as important as 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 the other stuff Mm -hmm. so when you go about trying to trying to consolidate what is an immense amount of information and or more importantly an immense amount of thoughts that you've had over the years down into one book how did you figure out how to organize it in a way that people can digest and then actually use uh, Huge question. <laughs> experimentally, accidentally, sloppily. Uh, I mean, you you know, I'm sure many of your listeners know that the creative process is is really a mess. I mean, to the point I made earlier about you really don't know what you think till you begin to try to write it down. Um, I, I had sort of this hunch 
um, or this itch after the investor's paradox that there was a lot more to not only my professional story, but my personal story that I wanted to get into. And so, you know, I began to think about this connection between money and happiness. And, you know, in my day job, I, you know, I work for a big investment firm and I work primarily with our clients who are financial advisors, like from Raymond James or Merrill Lynch, you know, th those sorts of firms, as well as their clients, meaning normal people like, like you and me. And it's my job to sort of make sense of this world. And, and I've learned so much. It's been great experience. Uh, and, and one of the things that uh, has been a, a top learning for me is that you need to take all of these complex lessons and you need to package them in a way that is accessible and not intimidating. And so, you know, I, I have this running joke that my real job description is that I write for people who don't read. And um, one thing that we know is that images are, um, you know, more impactful than words. And, and so there's actually a real design component to all of the work that I do for Virtus, but also, you know, this book, The Geometry of Wealth, the book is literally about three basic shapes, a circle, a triangle, and a square. And those shapes represent um, our quest to define our purpose, our need to set priorities, and then the challenge of making good tactical decisions. And so I, I try to write you know, this most recent project organizing, you know, as you mentioned, a, a pretty massive amount of information, not just from psychology and neuroscience, but from anthropology, sociology, economics, uh, and, and so forth in three shapes. So if you can remember circle, triangle, square, purpose, priorities, decisions, you kind of have 80% of it right there. Obviously, there's some nuance and there's a flow to the narrative, but I wanted to give people a sense of, I think this is the right way to go about doing it. Okay. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I I, I like the, uh, I think you have to use a narrative. You, 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 ha you have to be able to tell a story. Otherwise, I think to your point, people aren't just, they're just not going to get it. So um, I think, the idea of contentment, of being content with the things that you have, um, and then recognizing when you have thoughts about, I want something that's more than I have, I want something that's better than I currently have, or something that's different than I currently have. Mm -hmm. How do you reconcile that between just wanting to achieve more, wanting to do better? So uh, it's the biggest question that I think about every day. Um, it's something that I addressed explicitly in the very last chapter uh, of the book, um, chapter 10 in the geometry of wealth. And there is never ending and, and I, I've come to argue irreconcilable tension between wanting more and having enough. Uh, I think it's just one of the ways or mental models to think about the human condition because there's two different things going on. One is that we do have this instinct or this urge, uh, um, subconscious, preternatural urge to grow. Uh, that's part of our evolutionary wiring because, you know, you know, 100,000 years ago, if you were sort of, uh, you know, lazy dude sitting around, uh, there was a pretty good chance you weren't going to survive. So the people who did survive were kind of on their feet and active and aware. And so they were kind of always moving forward, both physically and literally. And so, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, those of us who are around these days, we, we have that developmental instinct. We need to feel the sense of growing. So, for example, 
you know, if you're at the front of the line but not moving, there's a good chance you're going to be less happy than the person who's toward the back of the line but moving forward. Just that sense of moving forward feels really good. The the other half of it, though, is that um, we do want and need to stop and smell the roses. There, there's something incredibly valuable about that av- ability to be present, um, you know, uh, uh, be here. You know, there's a famous uh, Buddhist philosopher named Thich Nhat Hanh who has an amazing book that I would recommend. It's very short called You Are Here. And it's just an amazing treatise about the ability to be present and the joy that you find in the moment. I, you know, if you have a different take, I'd love to hear it. I don't think the more versus enough um, flow is reconcilable in a philosophical or, or analytic sense. I do think that being aware of that tug and pull, that going back and forth between those two modes really defines the human condition. And money obviously fits into that entire rubric. And the best that we can do is sort of be aware and be thoughtful and be mindful about that. Yeah, I I appreciate that very much. And it's something I I spend a lot of time thinking about as well. And um, I think that at some point in time, either in high school or college, we're we're familiar with the story of Faust. There's several of them, but kind of at the end of the day, he figured out that you need to be striving to be advancing your fellow human. And that's really where a lot of us do find our, our, our real happiness. So it's always a tough mm-hmm. thing. So yep, yep. how do you feel that, 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 that community does community play an important role in, 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 in happiness and finance is, is there a connection there? I, I, I guess with habits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a very deep one. Um, I, I think there are a few uh, deeper under, underlying sources of contentment um, in, in our lives. You know, so when, when we work at a surface level and we think about, you know, uh, the money in our bank account or the fame or popularity we have, athletic success, career success, basically goals, you know, sort of, um, you know, the, the, the things that we put on a to-do list that, that, that we want to achieve – um, you know, achieving goals and achieving happiness are, are actually two pretty distinct phenomena. When you think about achieving happiness, and, and here I'm not referring to sort of day-to-day good mood. I'm talking about that deeper sense that you're leading a good life. I, I would say that community or connection to others it ranks right at the top of the list. Again, you know, I'm, I'm very respectful of our evolutionary uh, and, and genetic makeup. And, you know, just it's not just that we like having friends and family around. We need to have it. Our identity uh, is actually defined in in no small part by our connection to others. Now, those connections can vary. It could be friends. It could be colleagues. It could be family. It could be virtual communities where, you know, you believe in an idea and you know that others out there do also like, uh, you know, love for country or or passion for religion or, or things like that. But that. That need to belong is 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 non-negotiable, and and then you know as it relates to underwriting that sense of contentment, you know, if you're in a bad way from a money perspective, um, the ability to be kind of integrated and united and connected to others becomes more and more difficult. So you know, you 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 know, just as a practical matter, you can't get around. You know, it's expensive to to have transportation. Um, you know, it's expensive to belong, to, to have membership in, 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 in various things. It's expensive to travel, to see people 
who um, care uh, that, that, that you care for. So you can actually go from, you know, these massive evolutionary narratives to the practicalities of affording a plane ticket and all of that relating to our happiness in life in, in a relatively, um, uh, you know, quick paragraph. Yeah. Here's, here's a thought that I've been kicking around for, for a little while. Um, and it's simply that if I never had to think about money ever again, would I be a happier person? What do you think about that? Um, I, I, I think it's a dead end. I, because, well, so when I, so when you, and there's different ways I think you can interpret what you just said, but I'll just take, I think one of the more obvious ones, which is if you never had to think about money again, um, meaning that you were born a, a multi-billionaire, um, uh, and so you would never have to want for anything, uh, as distinct from a, a different vision, which would be in some way we live somehow in a non-commercial cashless society um that's sort of a different that, that's a quite different thing but let's just say like you know your your bank account's always going to be filled there's nothing that you can't afford to do um i i don't think that that in any way um guarantees this deeper sense of uh, contentment and you know to those deeper sources connection we already talked about but there's also sort of competence you know your ability to you know, do something well, something that's meaningful to you, your, your um, uh, affiliation with, with bigger ideas like religion or, or patriotism. Um, it's um, uh, another is control, you know, sort of um, self-determination, rugged individualism. E even if you have all of the money in the world um, and, and you're not sort of deliberately planning on underwriting those four different sources of meaning, you can add up in a bad spot. And I'll give you the example of lottery winners. Um, so let's just say you go from not having much money at all to having $10 million or $100 million. Thread, thread that experience through this mental model that I just put out there in terms of what really matters. So, no, so you have a ton of dough. Number one, your connections probably fray because now every third cousin you've never met is bothering you. People want things from you that they didn't before. So your ability to connect with others actually decreases. Competence, the, that, that joy that we get from work and the identity that it gives us. Well, now work is in some sense is less meaningful because you don't need the money. Uh, and, and so um, they're a, a massive source of identity, especially for men, um, go, goes by the way. Control, the, the third of four, um, is uh, arguably something that you have more of, but I would also complicate it by saying that when you have, you know, you go from being broke to having a hundred million dollars, of course you have, you know, literally fu money, but at the same time now you have an enormous amount of demands on your time. People want stuff from you. You have a lot more decisions to make, and you might feel out of control, and so forth. So. I, I think if you just think in terms of being rich, meaning just having a larger balance sheet, um, it gets you in some trouble in terms of thinking deliberately about a more meaningful life. Yeah, good thoughts. Well, Brian, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Um, I'm actually, so we've been talking about deep meaning, and I would encourage people to to think about that and the connections to money, and obviously the book goes through that in some detail. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say something very practical, ho hopefully not too practical, which is that everybody should have a balance sheet. 
Okay, um, you know, we, we know, we know that we should save more than we spend and we should buy low and sell high. And there's a lot of basic rules that we should do that many people don't do. But there's something and, and uh, you know, plenty of, you know, friends, uh, I'm in my 40s, people, you know, mid mid career who have saved some money. It's amazing how few people actually have a balance sheet, they might have an investment portfolio, but they have no clear sense of the balance between their relationship between their assets and their liabilities or what I call what you own versus what you owe. And I think that once you kind of think through some of these deeper meaning thing, stuff and you get to uh, the priority setting stage to all of this, unless you have an sort of intellectually and, and, and really emotionally honest view of where you are in terms of what you own versus what you owe, all of those great thoughts that you had kind of fall apart because you 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 won't have the architecture for the house that you're going to need to build. So um, uh, honestly, uh, just having a column with assets and a column with liabilities and assets minus liabilities equals your net worth. Um, it might be a really depressing number. It might be actually a surprisingly positive number, but you need to start there when it comes to setting financial priorities. Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on. Come on. And Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they get a copy of Geometry of Wealth? Sure. Well, there's only one bookstore left in the world, so everyone can go to Amazon. <laughs> um, and uh, it's available in, in paperback <clears throat> or uh, in ebook or, or Kindle version. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter. There's a really fantastic community of folks who write about behavior and decision making and investing and lots of other stuff. Uh, financial Twitter, shorthand is FinTwit. Uh, I'm an active participant there, and and my handle is just my name at Brian Portnoy. So I would encourage people to join the conversation. There are no barriers to entry other than just getting on Twitter and ignoring all the crappy stuff and 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 <laughs> joining this. It's a very positive, uh, uplifting dialogue that I uh, participate in every day with so many uh, smart uh, and sharing uh, men and women. So uh, at Brian Portnoy. And then I have a personal website, uh, shapingwealth.com, which has some information about me, uh, the two books that I've written, and links to uh, you know different uh, podcasts and articles that uh, sort of uh, talk about my work. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Brian your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Follow him on Twitter. Um, go to shapingwealth.com and get a copy of Geometry of Wealth on the last remaining bookstore, which is Amazon. Thank you again, Brian. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!